So these three meditators decide that they are going to go up on the mountain and um, <clears throat> meditate for some period of time. And uh, it's up in the mountains and there's a little pond there. And um, so then um, the different days they meditate in different places. So they go on the other side of the pond and they're all sitting there. And, and um, one of them says, oh, shoot, I forgot to... Uh, hang up my robes and so he goes back to hang up his robe and he walks across the water you know and uh, then he walks back and um you know and the other one says oh god i forgot my put out my underwear so he also walks across the water and uh, hangs up his stuff and comes back and the third meditator there is, is totally incensed you know he says i know this is a test you know, if you can do it, I can do it. You know, and so he immediately gets up and he steps off and goes under, you know. And he gets up and he's so determined, you know. Uh, he tries it again. And again, he just sinks down. And so uh, he does it actually the third time. And as he's going down the third time, uh, the one monk turns to the other one and says, uh, do you think we should tell him where the stones are? <laughs> you know. So, I'm hoping this this will be a little bit about uh, something about the stones. You know, I think you know a lot about that falling in stuff. So, Taking the one seed. When the sun and the earth stand still, the darkness has found its still point, the light its birth. Gently sitting in the center, anchoring one's attention, repeating it over and over, saying, This is my place. This is my place. Yet these furious enchantments, tempting us over and over again to venture down this covered alleyway of our own minds, stories piled upon stories. There's no relief venturing away from this seat Tell me again, why is it so important to stay in this one seat? Like the great yogis of old, sitting in the silence of the one seat, they broke the bonds of the storyteller. Sitting in the silence of the one seat, they broke the bonds of the storyteller. freeing themselves and inhabiting the sheer gift and gratitude of their time. Freedom can only happen in this single, simple seat. So, So I'd like to really talk about somewhat the tradition here. I always think it's kind of strange, you know, 
I love to bow to pieces of metal and paintings. It's lovely, you know, because ultimately, you know, uh, those are simply images, reflections of something that um, is in us, you know. Uh, Ajahn Chah, which is uh, a little bit of what I'll be talking about tonight. Only one book is worth reading. The heart. You know. So, um, uh, just a little storytelling here, because I think uh, it's, um, well, it's relevant, you know. In the 60s, when I went to Asia, um, you know, I was seek. I was a seeker, searching, and uh, I met a series of teachers, and uh, a lot of my attention was first based on kind of I wanted the highest teachings, you know, um, you know just like any Westerner, you know, and yet I wasn't ready for it, you know, and so I had to actually, in a sense, kind of start. And in the tradition, they say you have to kind of stay with one method, one teacher for five years before you can really venture out. And so, uh, for me, through the Uba Ken tradition particularly, you know, I spent nine years uh, kind of, in a sense, um, teaching myself, you know, uh, how this happens. And part of it was, uh, I was also, one of the things, I love the mountains. And also, uh, I love being a gypsy. I never could fit in a monastery. Um, I was always trouble. So uh, I began in Tibetan, it's called Puk. It's, it's actually cave practice. And so uh, this, um, in September actually, I went to my old house where I spent four summers and I, from there about two and a half hours walk up into the Himalayas was my cave, you know? And it was a place where uh, the sheep herders would come and, and uh, it was all smoky on top, but it had this incredible view you know, the vast view, you know. And I could go there and, and uh, somehow, and I learned how to, the locals taught me how to pick uh, edible mushrooms, you know, and uh, wild thyme and wild garlic and onions. And um, it was actually uh, a, a great relief, you know, of just uh, leaving everything and going there. And I spent some years going up there and... Uh, Part of my practice there during the summers was every month I would do 10 days of sitting and then I would go up there maybe five days and carry, uh, you know, my tea and sugar and and uh, rice and stuff. And and, uh, and uh, it also, nature, uh, nature is dharma, you know. And uh, so as the years went by, I realized in some ways... Uh, there was a confinement in the in kind of the Burmese uh, school I was coming out of in some way, and um, and at that time, I uh, recognized that somehow uh, there was uh, a lineage, uh, the Thai Force tradition, that had in it uh, something that was so essential uh, to my own uh, kind of understanding or experience. And it had to do, it goes back uh, to the 1880s or so with uh, Ajahn Tsao. And um, the, nothing's really 
too much known or written about him. You know, as far as I know, maybe uh, there's more than I know. But but he was, um, you know, he was a wanderer. In those times, they were just these, basically, uh, they they uh, wandered throughout uh, Thailand and Burma, and um, they lived mostly in caves, and they they actually had very austere practices. It was called the Dutanga, and they um, had thirteen austerities. You know, so they 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 actually wore just pieces of of robes that a lot of times were picked up uh, in cemeteries, and uh, were very much. Um, what I always considered myself as kind of a gypsy, so they were kind of these gypsy uh, mendicants who uh, ventured, you know, uh, through the kind of jungles and uh, the mountains of both Burma and Thailand and, and Laos, you know. So I began to realize that, that there was something about them that uh, resonated in me, you know. And it's very much this lineage here that uh, we're working with. And Ajahn Sao was the teacher of Ajahn Moon, who um, also, they were, um, you know, he, he didn't write anything. I think there's one poem that uh, Ajahn Moon wrote that was 27 pages on the five aggregates, you know, and that's it, you know. And the rest of it was really this whole experience of, um, you know, it wasn't about study or books. It was about uh, the fact that, you know, uh, what is it that causes the suffering and how do you free yourself from it? And that is the basics, you know? And that uh, in many ways, you know, it's funny, I think, and I remember when I decided, oh, this is really what I, the kind of what I wanted to change and look at as a lineage and a uh, means. And I remember in, it was 1993, one of the things that Ajahn Moon and Ajahn, actually Ajahn Chah and Ajahn Sao, is they taught this word budo, you know, as, as a simple practice, you know. And it was taught to the tide because these are basically, you're talking about farmers, you know, that they went and, and they were in relationship uh, with farmers, many of them who couldn't read, and so the simplest thing was actually to give them the mantra Budo. And so it was really something uh, that uh, I ended up going to IMS, and that's all I did, was just do Budo uh, for just six weeks. But, you know, six weeks is six weeks, you know? And it was really, in a sense, uh, because I could see, oh, it's, it's, that's, it's, this is simple stuff. It's not complex, you know? And keeping it as simple as possible. Uh, was really what I was looking for. I knew about complex, and I, I definitely spent many years kind of trying in some way uh, to um, get some of the, you know, uh, there's so much material out there. I mean, you could fill this room dozens and dozens of times with all kinds of treaties and, and um, interpretations uh, of the Buddhist teachings. But it's really, it boils down again to this simplicity. You know, it's not complicated. It means that if you can see, you know, what is it that, in a sense, uh, causes you to suffer and capture you, you know? And what is it like 
to actually see that and see it clearly and learn the simple truth of how to let go. You know. I love this as a quote that I have uh, of Ajahn Moon that um, I think it's down in the Gratitude Hut down there. But it has uh, also been another piece of great inspiration to uh, me and how this all works. It's very simple, you know. If your investigation of the world never allows the mind to desert the body, examine its nature, see the elements that comprise it, see the impermanence, the suffering, the selflessness of the body while sitting, standing, walking, or lying down. When its true nature is seen fully and lucidly by the heart, the wonders of the world will become clear. In this way, the purity of the mind can shine forth, timeless and delivered. In this way, the purity of the mind can shine forth, timeless and delivered. Pretty simple stuff, isn't it? I think over the years, you know, um, I've been doing this a long time. And it's true. It's absolutely true from what I know. You know, if you can learn to see that, you know, all this world that you see here, uh, it has certain kind of uh, intrinsic nature or quality, you know. Uh, It's funny how the nature of our mind is so incredibly um, tenacious and uh, its instinct is it wants to freeze time, you know? So it wants to take everything that it sees or hears or smells or thinks and concretize it, make it into something uh, solid, you know? And, um, okay, so that's, that's what it does. But what's true? You know, what's fundamentally true here? You know, it's all uh, that last moment, that last breath, that last whatever uh, is gone. And the more that we can learn that the function uh, of freedom is all based on our capacity uh, to recognize that this is basically, uh, we're in a sense, we kind of fool ourselves in thinking somehow our happiness is based on Uh, this physical world, you know. But these teachings are directly saying, no, if you can see, if you can see your attachments, your fears, you know, your obsessions, uh, if you can truly see them and uh, not be caught by them, then uh, it's not something complicated. It's just simply... Uh, there is a natural instinct. You know, and that natural instinct uh, is something that we develop here. You know? And you've always kind of had this, by the way. You've always kind of had it. You know? But uh, it's really getting to understand it, that you you see uh, suffering, uh, the cause of suffering, and the end of suffering. Right here, you know.
So one of the things I love is that comes out of the, uh, so there's Ajahn Sao, Ajahn Moon, and then there is uh, Ajahn Cha, who, uh, you know, was Jack Cornfield's teacher and uh, Ajahn Sumedho's and uh, Ajahn Amaro and, and many uh, uh, distinguished uh, teachers over this over this last um, what fifty years, and one of the heartful teachings I feel uh, has to do with what is really known as the one seat, you know, and it's so fundamental and simple, you know, Ajahn Chah. Go into the room and put one chair in the center. Take the seat in the center of the room, open the door and the windows, and see who comes to visit. You will witness all kinds of scenes and actors, all kinds of temptations and stories, everything imaginable. Makes sense to you now. Your only job is to stay in your seat. You will see it all arise and pass, and out of this wisdom and understanding will come. You know, pretty simple, you know. But as you all know, um, you know, it's so easy to forget and to wander off into the sort of 10,000 thoughts uh, that about everything, you know. And I'm not saying they aren't important. You know, uh, but here in this room, uh, there is a simple function, you know. And it's interesting how thinking, if you have noticed, you know, um, oh, I'm sure you've told some really good ones, you know, and you go off, but you always come back to the same place. You can't actually leave here, you know. I mean, I love the description of a, of a boat out in the middle of the ocean and there's a little bird on that boat and that bird is always, it's way too far to find any land and it flies off but it can't land anywhere. So it always has to come back to the boat. And in a way, the boat is no different than the chair, you know. As we go off and I don't care how far or where you go, you have to come back your seat, you know. I'll read another piece of this and then I want to kind of play with it. So, as I see it, again, Ajahn Chah, the mind is like a single point, the center of the universe, and mental states are like visitors who come to stay at this point for short or long periods of time. Get to know these visitors well. This is really kind of studying your mind and how, and your feelings and your body, how, how it is, you know. Become familiar with the vivid pictures they paint, the luring stories they tell you, to entice you to follow them, but do not give up your seat. It is the only chair around. If you continue to occupy it unceasingly, greeting each guest 
as it comes. Establishing yourself in awareness, transforming your mind into the one who knows, the one who is awake. The visitors will eventually stop coming back, and if you give them real attention, how many times can these visitors return? Speak with them here, and you will know every one of them well. Then your mind at last will be at peace. So I want to go back to this description of putting uh, a chair in the center of the room. Now, in the tradition, uh, they, there are the five senses we know, uh, and the sixth one being mom, the mind. And so uh, the practice here, uh, and this really comes out of a, uh, some of the Tibetan imaging, uh, of uh, that the five five windows and a door, you know, and that these uh, windows are our sense doors. And so, uh, and then the, the door, I mean, the, uh, the windows and the door is the mind itself, which I think is kind of double hinged, kind of swings back and forth, you know. Uh, but uh, this, is the, this is how simple this is. There is something in you that knows, you know, you cannot get rid of the knowing. You know, uh, they're trying to stop being aware right now. Just try it out. See if you can stop it. You know, uh, unfortunately, uh, it kind of came with the territory. And yet we get so caught up and lost uh, that we actually don't see the function. You know, so there are these senses. And so we can kind of divide it into um, the sense doors and then all those things, uh, the kind of outer objects, you know. And that uh, what happens is that we spend most of our time outside the building, not on the seat. And I know, you know, one of the things as a, as a kid, um, just because of trauma and all sorts of things, one of the things was to stay safe. I learned how to scan my environment, you know, and it was just to be safe. But what I was doing was totally abandoning myself, you know, and it became, uh, in a sense, a way of being, you know. And then when I finally, in course, then I started running. And I ran and I ran and I ran, you know, uh, growing up in Europe, making it on Translove Airways to California and then overland to India, you know. And eventually, it took me a little while to stop, but I didn't, I kept moving too, you know. But it also, I then began to understand right away, you know, that there was this possibility, you know, uh, that I could actually kind of maybe change or reduce suffering uh, and find uh, some freedom, you know. And I can say I have, you know. But it's also a lot of work because uh, the instinct, and there was more of an instinct of not 
of being lost in the objects. And I know I, I hear this from you, you know, in interviews and stuff that, you know, you, you go outside and, you, you know, it's such a lovely place, even though the rain has been good for you. Uh, it kind of keeps you contained. Uh, but this place uh, is quite uh, miraculous and lovely. And again, uh, nature being, you know, to me, nature is dharma. It is uh, that that uh, reflects uh, uh, truth. You know, whether it's the spring buds or the leaves that uh, fall in the fall. You know, uh, there's all, all, we can study it. We can study nature and get how this works, you know. But from the practical practices point of view, when we realize we can actually take a seat in the center of the room. So there's that that knows or that that's aware. You know. And it may notice right now that it's seeing and it's looking out. But the experience, just like if you're looking at me, I'm actually, I'm out here, yes, but you actually experience me on your eye. You know. And there is that that knows. You know, and that that knows is that that sits in the center. You know, so there's really just three things going on at any one moment. There is uh, the knowing itself. Uh, there is the sense door, one of your sense doors, whether it's taste or smell or seeing or hearing uh, or thinking. You know, and our practices these. These three things that happen. So there is the kind of the knowing, there is a sense door, uh, and there is uh, the world out there, you can say. You know. And so our job is actually to stay in that seat and start to actually recognize that, uh, first of all, uh, that it's, it's changing at such fast speeds, you know, uh, what is a consciousness that jumps from one sense door to the other? So rapidly, it seems like it's all at once. You know. And the job uh, of the practice is actually for you to kind of stay in your seat and get settled in. You know, and that's really what you're doing here. You're kind of sitting there, and I know it's frustrating and hard on the back and the knees, and, uh, you know, and, um, but you're doing it. You know, and as you begin to stay, then the, in a sense, the, uh, you begin to collect yourself more around that seat, you know. And in some ways it softens uh, the attention towards the external, and I, I do I do know that the storytelling gets very, you know, here uh, there's external silence and uh, all it does is kind of magnify the internal dialogue. You just chop, 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 on, on, on. You know, I know that's true, you know. But there's no place to go. I mean, all you're doing is kind of sitting on your bun you know, and then you, you get up and hopefully you stay awake enough to walk outside, find your place or inside, and you walk back and forth, you know. And then you come back and sit again. And 
then you do it again, and then there's lunch, you know, or maybe you have an interview, you know, and, uh, you know, you make up all kinds of stories about the interview, you know. <laughs> you know, I mean, we are funny creatures, you know. And then, uh, you know, I didn't get mine today. Oh, I won't get one at all, I'm sure, you know. <laughs> you know, all the things we make up, just sitting in the seat, you know. And then as you go along, though, suddenly it becomes, uh, the the understanding is that, oh, I can actually uh, sit in that seat longer, you know? And um, I I love this word bamboozled, you know? And I think what happens is all the external things, they kind of bamboozle us, you know? And somehow here, um, you know, I mean, it's wonderful and all that stuff here, but... um, you know, uh, to start to get that you are the creator of your suffering. You know, it's not that we can change causes and conditions, but it's, it, as, as Donald's talking about, the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh arrow that happens. You know, uh, that uh, is something that you are constructing. You know, You're not going to win. Just know that. You know? There's no winning in this case. But there is being aware that uh, that that, you know, uh, really, in a sense, um, begins to see very clearly how it works, you know, and how you create suffering and also how you create freedom. So a contemporary of uh, Ajahn Chah was, uh, who actually wrote the biography of Ajahn uh, Moon Bharata, uh, was named Mahabua. You know, at home I have, in Thailand, I got this little statue that's, <laughs> he's really cute, you know, <laughs> but he looks so real. It's like, it it's kind of scares you half to death, you know, you go, whoa, <laughs> you know, serious, you know. That one says, it's not like a metal thing at all. It's, it's, it looks very real. <laughs> whatever arises, whatever arises has to vanish. Whatever arises has to vanish. Whatever is true, whatever is a natural principle in and of itself won't vanish. In other words, the pure mind won't vanish. Everything of every sort may vanish, but that which knows they're vanishing doesn't vanish. This vanishing and that vanishing, but the one which knows they're vanishing doesn't vanish. Whether or not we try to leave it untouched, it keeps on knowing. The mind blankets everything. You know, so ultimately, that by taking that seat and, and keep come, it is very much of kind of staying in the body, recognizing oh, the stories that you weave, 
uh, and somehow having the sense that instead of getting lost in external the external world, uh, one includes the knowing uh, of that that's aware and the sense doors, that they are the sense that I'm actually experiencing the world that way. You know. Now, this Mahabhu, why I uh, uh, saw something that was so important to me, was there something that doesn't vanish? You know. And uh, it's not out anywhere. It's actually, uh, you're a manifestation of that. And it is essentially that the, the pure mind or just simple awareness, there's many words for it, but that that knows, you know. Uh, and this is something that uh, is not affected by all the comings and goings, you know. Uh, it actually can't, uh, it, it's not impure, it's not pure, it's not anything but uh, purity of awareness, which means that if it gets caught, it's lost. If it's awake to itself, you know, and that's really what I'm trying to point at here, that essentially that you are walking around you know, uh, with this awareness that in its simplest nature frees. It frees the one who sits in the center. It frees the sense doors and the objects of the world, you know. And um, essentially, to begin to be acquainted and friends with this, you know. And it only, it's interesting that it only can be recognized or known in, in actually being completely relaxed, you know. Uh, so uh, we actually have to simply, uh, in, in a sense, there's kind of the, use the word sometimes surrender. You just have to surrender to what is it, the knowing itself, you know. And uh, any duality, any kind of caught up, uh, you kind of miss it, you know. You get entangled in the tangles, you know. In some ways, I'm trying to point at what is really the, in, I, I feel in all traditions, and I say all traditions, you know, I, I remember uh, one, of, one of the great teachers, whereas if I, I was, I'd come on the train, to, I was in Tehran, and this was the 60s, and I came into Tehran and at, the, at the train station, and um, these young uh, Iranian boys who were college boys and I was just college age sort of kid and so they they were Baha'is and they took me to their home and I stayed with them and uh, I learned something about their uh, their view of the world you know and I realized that uh, you know all of us in any way it doesn't matter what uh, kind of view or whether you got a Buddha up there or you have anything else you know we're talking about something uh, that is beyond all views, opinions, and belief systems. You know, it's something that's inherent uh, in uh, humanness. 
you know. And sometimes, you know, it's referred to simply as Buddha nature. Uh, but somehow, you know, that there's some kind of maybe glorification or deification there. And this is not about that. This is so simple, you know. And yet, you know, in our kind of wanting, it has to be bigger or more or something else, you know. I liken some of the fundamental Zen texts and in the uh, kind of Tibetan texts where they talk about ultimately uh, when someone has kind of reached the point of freedom that is simply ordinariness. You know, it's just simply ordinariness. It means there's no struggle with the world, you know. Um... You don't have to struggle with the world. The world actually is just the way it is. And if you can actually rest your attention, uh, ultimately, you know, it's hard because we have this word letting go that's used so much in Buddhism, you know? And in some ways, I think it's a, a, a bit of a, um, uh, you know, just is just, in a sense, wording. Uh, we can't really let go, you know? Uh, uh, that's a thing, you know. But you can let things be. And this is very much about sitting in the center and letting it be. And then as that letting it be happens, then there is a process. There's a process called letting go. That instinctively, you don't do it, it does you. That it happens. But ultimately to get that this, the fundamental here is that uh, to stay in the center, that you have to release what it is that happens at the sense doors and this incredible cacophony of, um, you know, beliefs and story systems uh, that somehow uh, keep us entangled. I always thought, you know, I, I when I came to Asia and, and I spent, what, a dozen years there, and um, a lot of the impetus was that there was enlightenment, you know? And that uh, I didn't realize it was the carrot, you know, that kind of dragged the horse along, you know? And that it had been kind of set up for centuries because people were so confused, you know, that they had to have this, you know, I'm going to have to get there. And therefore, you know, there is some kind of, and particularly for Westerners, kind of winning and losing in it, you know. But I always love this quote from Chogyam Trumpa Rinpoche from the myth, of feed, the myth of Freedom. The attainment of enlightenment from ego's point of view is extreme death. The death of the self the death of the me and mine, the death of the watcher. It is the ultimate and final disappointment. (laughs) You know? So, you know. So, wonder if you are. Wonder if you are completely already it. And it was in your nature when you kind of gave up your uh, ranting and raving about everything and just stopped and sat and uh, let yourself collect yourself 
and kind of sitting in that center, you know? And what is it? It's like uh, Ajahn Moon says, you know, it's just simply that we keep attention in the body, you know? It's your vehicle this time around. It's only a rent-a-body anyway, <laughs> you know? And, and you might as well recognize, you know, um, if you're born, no more need be said, you know? It's a one-way ticket, you know? And um, I think sometimes, and you know, I think sometimes, oh, I forget it, you know? And I think there's a genetic uh, compulsion to forget it, you know? And so it takes this kind of reminding and training. And, you know, when we start getting that, oh, that's true, then all that, all that you've saved, all that you've done, everything, somebody else is going to get it. You know that. It's just going to go away. You know, all you, that you know, all that you have accumulated, you know, all those moments that, that kind of pleasant that arose and pass away. You know. And hopefully this is pointing at, you know, kind of a greater happiness. You know. And it is a happiness that in some ways um, it's not dependent Uh, is not dependent. It is something um, you, know, you were born with. It's instinctual. You know what I'm talking about. You know, it's hard to remember. It can only be remembered in little moments. But uh, sometimes we get very confused because as a cultural training, uh, you know, the only way I describe it is, is that, you know, um, we are all working, we're struggling all the time to get pleasant experience. You know, that's what we do. Oh, oh, oh yeah, that's better. You know, that latte, that'll do it. You know, and, but, you know, it's all vanishing. No matter what it is, it's all gone as soon as you experience it on some level. And yet, the, in a sense, the compulsion and the belief and the addiction to that if I get enough pleasant sensations, I'll be happy. You know, and if I can keep as much unpleasant sensations away, uh, then I'll be happy. You know, and the Buddha actually was saying, you know, there's more to this than that. You know, that those are all temporal truths. You know, you can uh, you can get it for a moment, hold it, but it will have to vanish. You know, and he said, oh no, there's actually a zero point. You know, and this zero point actually is there all the time. And it is that that's awake or that that's aware. That uh, as you begin to notice and you begin to relax into, I can release. And it has the power to release just about anything. You know, oh, because it can only be recognized. Uh, it has uh, no past. It has no future. It simply is something about the present, you know? And that somehow, if the awareness there is of the present, then it has a tendency to let go. Instinctive, you know? So don't get bamboozled. You know, I know you will. But at the same time, uh, there can be moments where you recognize 
that you have this capacity, uh, what you're doing here, kind of sitting in that one seat, owning your body, uh, not getting lost in your senses, not buying all that thinking, and begin to see that you have uh, the capacity, you know, uh, to start creating uh, some objectivity, some space between the thinking and the senses. You know, so there's so you're no longer caught in the content of things, but you begin to see the world as simply these impermanent vanishing processes. You know, and they're not personal. You got it? You know, it's not complicated. You know, it's just a lot of work. You know, it's simply because of the habit patterns, you know. You know, the difference is it's not getting freedom, it's being freedom that I'm talking about. You know. And you you can choose this. So, taking this one seat. When the sun and the earth stand still, the darkness has found its still point. The light, its birth. Gently sitting in the center, anchoring one's attention, repeating over and over again, this is my place. This is my place. Yet, these ferocious enchantments tempting us over and over again to venture down the covered alleyways of our own minds. Stories piled upon stories. There's no relief venturing away from this seed. Tell me again, why is it so important to stay in this one seat? Like the great yogis of old, sitting in the silent of one seat. They broke the bonds of the storyteller. They broke the bonds of the storyteller. Freeing themselves and inhabiting the sheer gift and gratitude of their time. Freedom can only happen in this single, simple seat. Let's just sit for a moment.
choose freedom. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.